Section 35 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 5. Section 35. Jacques Benigne Bossuet by Adolphe Kahn. Jacques Benigne Bossuet, sacred orator, historian, theologian, and controversialist, was born in Dijon, capital of the then Burgundy, on September 27, 1627. There is no question but he is the greatest Catholic divine whom France ever knew, and one of the greatest, some say the greatest, of prose writers and orators of that country. His importance in the literary history of France is due, moreover, not simply to the high excellence of his productions, but fully as much to their representative character. The power that was wielded with absolute authority by Louis the Fourteenth found in Bossuet, the theorist who gave it a philosophical basis, and justified to the Frenchmen of the seventeenth century the conditions under which they lived. The future educator of Louis the Fourteenth's son sprang, like most of the great Frenchmen of that time, from the upper ranks of the bourgeoisie. The Bossuet family had been for a long time honorably connected with the legal profession and the judiciary. The father of Jacques Benigne was in 1627 a counselor practicing before the Parlement de Dijon, where his own father had sat as a conseiller or associate justice. Later in life he was himself called to a seat on the bench when a new parlement was organized in the city of Metz for the province of Lorraine, 1638. Ten years later, January 24, 1648, Bossuet, who had received his education partly from the Jesuits of Dijon, partly in the celebrated Collège de Navarre in Paris, and who had been shriven for the Catholic priesthood when only eight years of age, made what may be called his first public appearance when he defended his first thesis in theology. With this important event of his life, we find connected the name of the most brilliant Frenchman of that time, the celebrated Prince de Condé, famous already by many victories, though hardly twenty-six years of age, who attended the disputation and had allowed the young theologian to dedicate his thesis to him. Thirty-nine years later, after a long period of close friendship, their names were again associated when the illustrious Bishop of Meaux delivered the funeral oration of the great warrior and announced at the close of a magnificent eulogy that this would be the last occasion on which he would devote his oratory to the praises of any man, a promise which he kept, though he outlived his friend for no less than seventeen years. Bossuet's period of study lasted until the year 1652, when at the age of twenty-five he was appointed archdeacon of Saarburg. By virtue of his position, he thenceforward for no less than seven years resided in Metz, a city whose peculiar position, especially in religious matters, exerted a powerful influence over the direction of his whole intellectual life. He found there what was very rare then in France, representatives of three religions. In addition to the Catholics to whom he was to minister, there were in Metz numerous Protestants, 
both lutherans and calvinists or presbyterians and a not inconsiderable number of jews and the city was used to continuous theological controversy between minister rabbi and priest the protestants of metz received the teachings of two brilliant ministers david ancillon and paul ferry the latter of whom soon published a catechism which was considered by the whole body of french protestantism the clearest exposition of its doctrines the catholic clergy of france had then not yet renounced the hope of bringing all the inhabitants of the country to place themselves voluntarily under the spiritual guidance of rome and the conversions that were announced from time to time from the upper ranks both of protestantism and judaism to a certain degree justified such a hope bossuet while constantly improving his knowledge of the writings of the fathers especially of saint augustine threw himself into the contest with characteristic energy as against the jews he tried to demonstrate that the coming of christ is clearly foretold in the prophecies he thus became more familiar with the old testament than any other catholic theologian of his time and so far moulded his style on that of the bible that it soon became difficult to distinguish in his productions that which came out of the sacred writings from the utterances which belonged only to him this was done however strange to say without any knowledge of the hebrew language bossuet never read the bible except in greek or latin there was no good french version of the bible and it may be stated here that there is none to the present day which occupies in the french language anything like the position held in english by the bible of king james or in german by luther's version his attitude in regard to the protestants is more interesting because more characteristic of the time in which he lived france in the seventeenth century had become convinced that harmony unity fixedness are the clearest manifestations of truth the best guarantees of peace happiness and prosperity that variety and change are signs of error and harbingers of disaster bossuet's whole effort in his controversy with protestantism was directed towards demonstrating that protestantism lacks and that catholicism possesses the traits which were considered by his contemporaries to clearly belong to truth and as his opponents were not unwilling to follow him on his chosen ground as they never for a moment denied his main proposition his statement of the characteristics of truth as he even managed during the controversy to bring about a number of conversions to catholicism he left metz fully convinced that he was waging a successful warfare upon unassailable ground he had been in paris less than a year when an event happened which made him doubly sure of the soundness of his position and tenfold increased his belief in the ultimate victory of his church over all other denominations the commonwealth of england collapsed and charles the second was called to the throne from which his father had been hurled by oliver cromwell nothing can give any idea of the shock experienced by france on hearing of the development and success of the great rebellion in england no frenchman at that time understood what the english constitution was the course of french history had led the people of france to put all the strength they possessed in the hands of their kings and to treat as a public enemy any one who resisted or even attempted to limit in any way the royal authority 
to people holding such opinions the english nation after the month of january sixteen forty nine appeared as a nation of parricides and the feeling was intensified by the fact that the wife of the beheaded king henrietta maria was a sister of the king of france a daughter of the beloved henry the fourth whose death by ravaillac's dagger was still mourned by every french patriot the triumph of cromwell the proud position which england occupied in europe during his protectorate left however hardly any hope that the rebellious nation would ever acknowledge the errors of her ways and lo in a moment without any effort on his part without any struggle the dead king's son resumed his rights and every one who had been in arms against him lay prostrate at his feet the same nation that had rebelled against the levying of the ship money and the proceedings of the star chamber allowed charles the second almost as absolute an authority as ever the king of france possessed once cured of her political errors was england not to be soon cured of her theological errors after repenting her rebellion against the king was she not to repent her rebellion against the pope such were the questions which bossuet which the whole of france began to ask or rather these were to them no longer questions the people of france began to look across the channel with confident expectation of a religious counter-revolution the collapse of the commonwealth could not but be followed by the collapse of the reformation when louis the fourteenth after cardinal mazarin's death took in his own hands the management of the affairs of the state when the marriage of the brilliant henrietta of england with the duke of orleans made the sister of the english king a sister-in-law to the king of france when triumph after triumph on the field of war of diplomacy of literature of art added to the power and glory of france which had never swerved in her allegiance either to king or church the feeling grew that only in unity of faith law and king were truth and prosperity to be found by nations the saying une foi une loi un roi one faith one law one king which may be said to sum up bossuet's religious social and political beliefs seemed to all an incontrovertible and self-evident axiom these were the times when bossuet's utterances grew in power and magnificence he was heard in a number of parisian churches he was heard at court where he several times was appointed preacher either for advent or lent he delivered panegyrics of saints and was called upon to eulogize in death those who had held the highest rank in life he had just delivered the most splendid and the most touching of his funeral orations those on henrietta of france widow of charles i of england november sixteenth sixteen sixty nine and less than a year later on her unfortunate daughter henrietta of england duchess of orleans august twenty first sixteen seventy when the king at the request of the upright duke de montorsier called him to court from the bishopric of condom to which he had been raised and entrusted to him the education of his son and heir apparent the dauphin of france bossuet's royal pupil never reigned he died in seventeen eleven four years before his father's death and it must be admitted that during the thirty-one years that elapsed between the moment when he came out of bossuet's hands 
and the end of his life he gave no evidence of being anything except a very commonplace sort of a man no such halo surrounds him as surrounds his unfortunate son the duke of burgundy whose death two years after that of the dauphin was mourned as a public calamity whether bossuet's failure to make a great prince out of the dauphin was due to a faulty system of education or to the unresponsive nature of the pupil can hardly be considered to-day a matter of great interest but french literature was certainly the gainer by the appointment of bossuet to the post of tutor to the prince three of his most remarkable works his discourse upon universal history his policy according to the holy writ and his treatise on the knowledge of god and man were written especially for the dauphin and read by him as textbooks a long time before their publication the opening sentence of the discourse tells us clearly the author's purpose Quote, were history useless to other men it would still be necessary to have it studied by princes End quote. in sixteen eighty bossuet left the dauphin who then married a bavarian princess and one year later he was called to the bishopric of meaux louis the fourteenth was then taking steps leading to the important and fatal venture by which three years later he repealed the edict of nantes and forbade the existence in france of the protestant religion no one can deny bossuet's share in determining the king to follow a policy so fatal to the interests of france but at the same time so much in accord with the views of rome a natural outcome would have been the raising of bossuet who was certainly then the greatest orator the greatest writer and the greatest theologian in the catholic clergy to the cardinalate still bossuet was never a cardinal the explanation lies in bossuet's conduct in the year sixteen eighty two the king of france in that year called together a general assembly of the clergy of france a kind of national council his object was to have the clergy assert its national character and to state that in civil matters it was subject not to the pope but to the king the various statements to that effect constitute what is known as the liberties of the gallican church the statements were adopted after being drafted by bossuet who had at the opening of the sessions delivered before the assembly his celebrated sermon on the unity of the church the main part of which is an eloquent defense of the above stated views france was too powerful then for the see of rome not to yield but no favors were thenceforth to be expected for the spokesmen of the french national clergy still the great divine continued his efforts and in sixteen eighty eight he put forth the most complete and masterly exposition of his beliefs his history of the variations of the protestant churches the revolution of sixteen eighty eight and eighty nine in england did not in the least sad though it seemed weaken his faith in the ultimate triumph of catholicism in france at that time the english revolution was not considered an assertion by the people of political and religious rights but the carrying out of a detestable family conspiracy of a daughter and son-in-law with their father's enemy this better than anything else explains the hatred which was harbored against william the third and which found expression in the works even of as free-minded a writer as la bruyere it is during the period of the fiercest struggle between louis the fourteenth and william the third 
that bossuet carried on with the german philosopher leibniz a series of negotiations the object of which was the return to catholicism of protestant germany we need hardly state that the negotiations utterly failed in another controversy which occupied bossuet's last years he was entirely successful the most eloquent of his disciples fenelon then archbishop of cambrai seemed to him to have fallen into dangerous errors he had adopted the mystic doctrine of quietism which had been made known to him first by an erratic woman madame guillon bossuet determined that the eloquent archbishop must be compelled to recant a number of works were published by him in support of his position the most important one being his relation on quietism and he did not rest until the pope had condemned his rival and fenelon had submitted to censure in his own cathedral at cambrai some accuse bossuet of too much harshness in the contest the pope himself was reported to have said the archbishop of cambrai sinned by too much love of god the bishop of meaux by too little love of his fellow-man bossuet was then a very old man but neither growing age nor the care that he took of what he considered the general interests of catholic christianity ever kept him from giving the closest attention to the spiritual government of his flock he was a model bishop he died april twelfth seventeen o four aged seventy-six years six months and sixteen days bossuet was a very prolific writer in the best edition that of abbe caron begun in versailles in eighteen fifteen his writings fill not less than forty-one volumes but it must be stated at once that a great deal of this production belongs decidedly more to theology than to french literature some of it is not even in french but in latin for instance bossuet's letter to the pope on the subject of the education of the dauphin although in french such works as the treatise on communion or the explanation of john the baptist's revelation are decidedly outside the pale of literature as the word is usually understood we shall mention here only those works of bossuet which by virtue of their perfect form and the accessibility of the subject to the general reader are to this day more or less familiar to the best educated people in france the first to be mentioned among these are the sermons the funeral orations and the discourse upon universal history bossuet's sermons undoubtedly were among his most perfect productions he was a born orator his majestic bearing his melodious and powerful voice his noble gestures made the magnificent sentences the beautiful and striking imagery of his speeches doubly impressive unfortunately with only a few exceptions bossuet's sermons have reached us in a very imperfect form he did not as a rule fully write them and the art of taking down verbatim the utterances of public speakers had not yet been invented the sermon on the unity of the church we possess because bossuet had committed it to writing before delivering it other impressive sermons those on death on the conversion of the sinner on providence on the duties of kings etc have reached us in a sufficiently correct form to give us an idea of bossuet's eloquence but the reader who really wishes to know the great sacred orator of louis the fourteenth's reign had better turn at once to the funeral orations bossuet's funeral orations were prepared with great care 
they were delivered as a rule several months after the death of the person to be eulogized as part of a religious ceremony in which a mass was said for the repose of his soul bossuet delivered eleven funeral orations one of which that of anne of austria widow of louis the thirteenth and mother of louis the fourteenth is lost of the other ten four are youthful productions and deal with people of comparatively small importance six remain that are known as the great funeral orations and they were delivered between november sixteenth sixteen sixty nine and march tenth sixteen eighty seven they are those on henrietta of france queen of england henrietta of england duchess of orleans maria theresa of spain queen of france anne of gonzaga and cleve princess of the palatinate michel letelier high chancellor of france and louis de bourbon prince of conde the most remarkable of these are the first two and the last one in the funeral oration on henrietta of france bossuet had just the kind of subject which he was best fitted to treat and it must be considered his masterpiece it presents in magnificent style in pompous development a complete exposition of his historical and political theories together with a strikingly vivid account of the great english rebellion his portraits of charles i and oliver cromwell the one of course altogether too enthusiastic the other too severe stand out in as bold relief as the paintings of van dyck or velasquez his theory of revolutions which he considers the punishments inflicted by god upon sovereigns for violations of his law is presented with a wealth of illustrations which was simply overwhelming for the audience that listened to it it remains to this day one of the most plausible as it will remain forever one of the most eloquent pieces of historical and theological reasoning in the funeral oration on henrietta of england we find little of history still less of politics here we have a domestic catastrophe of appalling suddenness a brilliant woman the worshipped centre of the most brilliant court one to whom the speaker himself was most tenderly attached so abruptly snatched away by death that the suspicion of foul play at once arose and has not to this day been entirely dispelled nowhere has bossuet nor perhaps any other orator so powerfully depicted the uncertainty of everything human the closeness with which he treated his subjects is well illustrated by an anecdote that is connected with this oration only two or three hours before her death when already conscious of her desperate position the unfortunate princess had directed that an emerald ring of hers should be after her death handed to the great preacher what a pity he was told that such an incident cannot find place in a funeral oration why not he answered when he delivered the oration the emerald ring was on one of the fingers of his right hand and when speaking of the princess's virtues and charming qualities he alluded to the art of giving in which she signally excelled and this art he went on never deserted her not even i know it in the throes of death at the same time raising his right hand and placing the precious jewel in full view of the audience the funeral oration on the prince de conde shows us how he triumphed over difficulties he was a warm friend and ardent admirer of the prince and at the same time a devoted subject of the king rebellion against whom he considered a very grievous sin 
yet the prince had for years been a rebel against the king during the wars of the fronde and had continued in the ranks of the hostile spaniards even after all the other rebels had submitted to the royal authority after conducting his narrative down to the time when the prince still a faithful subject was unjustly imprisoned by order of cardinal mazarin and he goes on since i have to speak of these things over which i would fain keep eternally silent until this fatal imprisonment he had not even dreamed that anything could be attempted against the state this is what made him say i certainly can repeat here before these altars the words i received from his lips since they so clearly showed the bottom of his heart he said then speaking of this unfortunate prison that he had entered it the most innocent and had left it the guiltiest of men nearly the whole of this oration is devoted to history it teems with brilliant passages the most famous of which is the narrative of the prince's first victory the battle of rocroix in sixteen forty three thoughtful readers seldom pass by the funeral oration on anne of gonzaga it forms a curious incident in bossuet's life the great preacher's most striking fault was a lack of energy in his dealings with royal characters he lacks bones some one said of him and thus when his enemies so intrigued as to have him required to eulogize from the pulpit the erratic princess who had been a political intriguer and the heroine of many scandals before repentance took hold of her he lacked the courage to decline the doubtful honor but in the pulpit or whenever the priest had to appear and not simply the man his better manhood pure and commanding at once took the upper hand and so facing his critics my discourse he said which perhaps you think you are to judge will judge you when the last day comes and if you do not depart hence better christians you will depart hence guiltier men with the funeral orations one might mention another series of religious discourses not strikingly different from them the panegyrics of saints of which twenty have been preserved that of saint paul being indisputably the best the discourse upon universal history which was originally written for the dauphin is a masterly attempt to give a philosophical explanation of the facts of history beginning with the biblical account of the creation and ending with the assumption by charlemagne of the imperial crown in eight hundred a d it is divided into three parts the epochs religion the empires the first part contains the significance of twelve events considered by bossuet as epoch-making the creation the flood the calling of abraham moses and the giving of the law the taking of troy the building of the temple of solomon the foundation of rome cyrus and the re-establishment of hebrew nationality the defeat of carthage the birth of christ the triumph of the church under constantine the re-establishment of the empire with charlemagne the second part which contains thirty-one chapters has a twofold object to demonstrate that the coming of christ is clearly foretold in the old testament and that the roman catholic church is the only faithful representative of true christianity the third part is less theological it is an attempt to explain the facts of history at least partially by a study of the various influences to which the different nations have been subjected the general purpose of the whole work 
is best explained by the last chapter of this third part the title of which is conclusion of the whole discourse in which is shown that all events must be ascribed to a divine providence next to the above works we must mention the history of the variations of the protestant churches partly a work of theological controversy but partly also a brilliant exposition from a strictly catholic point of view of the history of the reformation it contains a portrait of luther which is almost worthy to be compared with that of cromwell in the funeral oration on henrietta of france the only other works of bossuet that we would mention here are two admirable devotional works the meditations upon the gospel and the contemplations on the mysteries of the catholic religion the latter a clear and concise but now superannuated treatise on philosophy the treatise on the knowledge of god and man a very curious and eloquent and at the same time thoroughly biblical treatise on theocratic policy policy according to the holy writ and finally his relation on quietism which shows what hard blows he could when thoroughly aroused deal to a somewhat disingenuous opponent adolf kahn end of section thirty five